Um, it is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is the day that we remember that God sent His Spirit upon all those who call um, His name. And it is a dramatic change from what it was before. But let's uh, pray as we remember that He sent His Spirit 2,000 years ago, that He'll send His Spirit uh, to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that, uh, that we are your children. And we thank you that you mark us as your children by sending us your spirit to live in us. And we thank you for the remarkable scene 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem when you sent your spirit visibly upon your people. And people stood and prophesied and, um, and, and looked forward to your fullness of your kingdom. And we thank you that the same spirit that was sent 2,000 years ago is with us now. And we thank you that you can fill us with your spirit. And we pray that you will fill us with your spirit this morning. Fill me with your spirit that I may speak the truth of your word. And we pray that you'll fill this church with your spirit that we can grasp the truth of your word. That your word may be deeply planted in us. And it may grow and bear fruit to the glory of your name. Amen. I'm sure you've asked, you've been asked this question before, but what part of yourself do you like the least about yourself? I, I automatically go to my chin because I don't really like my chin very much. And my cousin always teases me about my Abe Lincoln chin. I take that as a compliment. But you know, this isn't a huge problem. I mean, yeah, it's not a big problem. <laughs> but, and if I were really, really bothered about it, I mean, after all, I'm Korean. And Koreans are known for the, the top-of-the-world plastic surgeons. And I'm sure if I did, uh, if I were really, really bothered about it, um, they'd do a nice job, and, you know, you wouldn't even notice. You would just think, oh, he just got better looking. I can't really tell why. <laughs> but my chin's not, the, uh, not, not what's r- really wrong with me. The problem, these problems, after all, are, we call them cosmetic problems. They're superficial problems. Really, what I like least about myself is really the condition of my heart. What do I do about my habitual sins? What do I do about my pride and insecurity? What do I do about my greed and lust? In a way, I wish that Christianity was just really about what we know, the orthodoxy we talked about, importance of believing in the right things, how we are to remain in the truth that God has revealed to us, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We talked about that last week, how important that is. But I can do that, but this text today is much harder because John says today that knowing Christ is important, but being like him, being like him is just as important. So we feel the weight of these words, don't we? Take a look at verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who lives in and keeps on sinning. It needs no explanation. If you keep on sinning, if we keep on sinning, it's evidence that we're not in him. In verse 5, Jesus, in verse 5, it says that Jesus in him, it was no sin. How can we say that we live in him, in, in the one who has no sin, and keep on sinning? Verse 9 is just as tough. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. And that is universal, isn't it? No one, no one, without exception, no one who was born of God continues to sin. And John is serious about sin. He calls it lawlessness in verse 4, 3, 4. 
It's not just sin, the, uh, the word that he uses often, hamartia, which means maybe missing the mark. We talk about sin as missing the mark. Or adikia, unrighteousness, not doing the right thing. He says in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. It's not just what, that we fail to do something, but we have actively rebelled against God's known will. And we know that that's what we do. When I sin, it's not because I don't know that this is sin. This is an, there is an element of active rebellion against God, lawlessness. And then John then divides the world in two uh, parts, two groups in verse 10. Either we are children of God or children of the devil. And oftentimes I feel like I feel, uh, I, I'm on the wrong side. How is it that I can be a Christian? How is it that I can be a minister? And then keep on sinning. Is that because I am a child of the devil? And I do desperately want to change. I want to be victorious, as our charismatic friends often say. How do I become victorious over our sinful nature? And what's surprising about today's text is that John doesn't give us step-by-step instruction on how to change. He doesn't say, this is, these are the rules that you must follow. This is not a help. He's not a self-help guru. He knows that if we try to draw the energy and resources from ourselves, from within, we are doomed to fail. So in order to bring about that change, he starts out by reminding us what God has done for us. So in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, God has made us his children. He writes, so what, uh, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us so that we should, be, we should be called the children of God. And that is who we are. That is what we are. We're not merely called the children of God, but we are his children, he says. And you see, this is vital if there is is to be any real change in our lives. Fundamentally speaking, the change cannot come with our own effort. Overcoming our anger, greed, lost pride, insecurity, selfishness, brutishness, all of that does not start uh, with putting more rules in our lives, getting more accountability, and working harder and harder and, and trying harder. You might ma- make little changes in that way, but you will not be able to overcome the condition of your heart. Not that way. The radical changes that you are looking for can only come from God, he says. It comes from God. When you are born again in Christ... He says, John, this is what uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus comes to visit at night. And this is what um, he says, you must be born again. When we put our trust in Jesus, God does something. God changes us. God allows us to be born again. And this is of his doing. We don't exactly realize how this happens. And this is what he says to uh, Nicodemus. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where, it's com- where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. John 3, 7 and 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You don't, you, you hear its sound and, and um, uh, you can't tell where it's going, but you, you, you feel the effects of it. Spiritual birth is not our doing. It is God's doing. We don't understand how it exactly happens, but what Jesus is saying is you will feel the effects when it comes. 
When you are born again, you will change. This is what he's saying. The real radical change that you are looking for in your life cannot come by yourself. It has to come from God. So John tells us today in our text that we are children of God. He reminds us that the change that we're looking for, the fundamental change that we're looking for has taken place already when we put our trust in Jesus. We have become children of God. And we don't try to be like God's children and earn our way into adoption. God has bought us. God has changed us already and it will come because God's DNA has become our DNA. So take comfort in this if you are struggling with sin today. Who desperately want to be like Christ. John's John's answer is not try harder. Try harder. What John is saying, look, Know that God has made you his children already. And not only that, he tells us in verse 8 that he came to destroy the devil's work. The devil acts like this, acted like this world is his, but Jesus has shown by showing up and dying and rising again that this is his world, that he, he rules it, he's defeated sin, and by resurrection he says that he will come back to claim all of it to himself. And of course, the devil's still around, just as the Second World War continued after the D-Day. Last Friday was D-Day, I don't know if you remember, um, June 6th. 1944 was D-Day, when um, the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy. Thousands of people died on that day alone. And the war continued on. Many people died even more after that. But when that operation was over, everybody in the world knew whose side was going to win. Everybody knew. It's because of the number of people uh, in, in European soil. It was because of the resources where they were coming from. It was uh, because of what was happening in Russia and the Eastern Front. But at, at the end of D-Day, everybody knew who was going to win. And the cross, Jesus is coming and living, dying and rising again, is our D-Day. Everybody know we know that God has secured this victory Devil has been dethroned. His power is disarmed. He still fights, but the outcome is secure. What John is saying, the reason why he mentions this is because there is a spiritual dimension in our battle for holiness, in our struggle to be like Christ, right? And what John is saying is the devil has been dethroned. Once again, that is not because we tried hard, but because what God has done for us. God has made his children. God has dethroned the devil. The victory has been won. How do we change? Well, once again, John's not saying try harder. Change comes out of grace as a result of God's grace, of what God has done for us in lavishing his love upon us and making us his children. These are not, these changes that come are not conditions upon which, by which you become the children of God. It's the result. It's the inevitable result of becoming the children of God. But you hear this, and I know that there is a thought that comes in your mind, and you think, well, I don't see these changes. I still struggle with my sin. What do I do with my sin now? Well, John adds now um, and reminds us of what God will do. God will do in the future. So, um, four times in this text um, that we read, uh, John talks about Jesus' appearing. 
appearing four times. In verses 5 and 8, he talked about Jesus' first appearance, how he took away our sin, how he destroyed the works of Satan. He, um, but he then also twice more talks about Jesus' second appearance in verse uh, chapter 228 and uh, 3.2, when he will come back. And the second time he talks about it in 3.2, that comes with a promise. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We're not exactly sure what we will be like, but we know this. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like him, he says. The change will come. The theologians uh, call this glorification. Uh, Paul talks about how we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, how we will be glorified in him in Romans 8, 7. Christ will return and raise the dead and give the believers all new bodies, give them this perfect, sinless, holy body, bodies, resurrection bodies. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will, not all asleep, uh, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flesh, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, Im- imperishable, and we will be changed. The hope that he gives is that there will be a time when we will, we will not struggle with sin anymore. Because we will be with Christ and we will be like Christ in every way. And I don't know about you, but that's of great comfort to me as I struggle with my sin and I often feel like I'm beyond hope. I keep on sinning. And people say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I feel like that often. I mean, I'm not that old, but I feel like I'm I'm never going to change. And I'm sure you do as well. What are your habitual sins? How do you deal with it? At times, I just don't think I will be able to overcome this. And I despair about my future. I think maybe I'll just have to live with this for the rest of my life. But this is the thing that John reveals to us. We shouldn't despair. Just because we are struggling with our sins now, it doesn't mean that we will always struggle with our sins. Our sins will be defeated. There will, be, there will come a day when we will be completely holy like Jesus Christ, when we will not succumb to the temptations of sin any longer, but do what is right always. And John says this is because God is with us. In verse 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in, in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. We will not continue to sin because God's seed remains in us. This is a Pentecost speaking again. God is with us. God has sent his spirit to live in us and transform us from within. Even though it may feel small, that God part, it will grow bigger and bigger and it will transform us. And I love how John Stott um, talks about this so clearly. He says, the new birth involves the acquisition of new nature through the implanting within us of the very seed or life-giving power of God. Birth of God is a deep, radical, inward transformation. Moreover, the new nature received at, at the new birth remains. It exerts a strong internal pressure towards holiness. 
It is abiding influence of God's seed within everyone who was born of God, which enables John to affirm without fear of contradiction that he cannot go on sinning. I love how he puts that um, God's nature exerts a strong internal pressure towards holiness. It's there in us. It will be a process, of course. It will start when we realize the things that we haven't taken for granted in ourselves, our greed, our laziness, selfishness, lost self-indulgence, etc., our sin. Spirit convicts us of our sin. Then he creates new desire than for holiness towards generosity, diligence, self-discipline, love, selflessness. And we will start hating our sins and our old self that has been rebelling against God again and again. We will start hating that part of our lives and there they will be slowly chipped away. Our habitual sins will be broken. This is a struggle, of course, and that's what many of us feel now. And that's why we're so tempted to despair now, to declare defeat. But what John's saying is, don't despair. Don't despair. Christ has forgiven our sins. Christ has uh, uh, defeated the evil one. Christ has made us children and given us a new nature. God's seed remains in us now. And he is at work in you now. And eventually, inevitably, it will win over your sinful nature. I guarantee this because God's word says so. And it's appropriate that John uses a botanical metaphor here. Biological changes aren't perceptible, but it does happen. Even in the middle of winter, if you see a tree, it looks like it's dead. All the leaves have fallen, it's barren, right? But it's growing. It is growing. Seed, even though they're so small, seedlings, even though they seem so weak and insignificant, they grow to whatever it's destined to be. You see, we've been changed in kind already. Child of the devil will continue to imitate the devil, but we have become children of God. We will be like him. Lemon seed will grow to be a lemon. Um, Apple seed will grow to be an apple, and uh, oak tree will become a mighty oak. It's just a matter of time. So don't despair if you're struggling with your sin now, because you haven't arrived there yet. You will struggle, but it will not always be the case. You are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You are. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit is working in you now. And my parents visited um, about a month ago now. And frankly, I don't think I look like my mom, but many of you said, you look exactly like your mom. I don't want to be like my, my dad, but I am like my dad in so many ways because I am my parents' son. But we are also God's children. We will be like him. The changes are as imperceptible, but also as inevitable as it is imperceptible. But what do we do now? What do we do? It's great to know that God um, has changed our identity, um, that he doesn't tell us just to try harder. 
it's great to know that God will change us um, in the future so we don't have to despair, but what about now? Well, first of all, I want to start out by saying that John's not demanding perfection. He does, um, he does write, no one, he wrote in our text, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. But he also wrote back in the beginning of the letter, in John chapter 1, verse 8, the verse um, that uh, Andy read this morning, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, if you feel like you've arrived, you're either self-deceived, you're actually genuinely deceived, or you're just lying. But what do I do now? Here's the key. I think it, it, the key is in the first word of chapter 3. It's see. See. King James translates it as behold. The message Eugene Peterson translate, translated as just look at it. Gaze at it. What are we supposed to look at? We're supposed to look at the amazing love of God. The love that he has lavished upon us calling us his children and making us his children. If you look at yourself and try to change, that's not going to happen. If you depend on your willpower and your ability to change, that's not going to happen. But you will be defeated. But if you look at the love of God and what God has done for us, you will change. Behold his love. Look at his love. Gaze at the love that God has shown us by sending his son for us. Second thing to behold, behold Christ. Behold Christ. He told us, um, John tells us in two, uh, ch- uh, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, that when Jesus comes back again, we shall see him as he is, and that we will be like him, he says. He seems to draw a connection between seeing Jesus And then being like him, becoming like him. I think this is very true. If we see Christ as he truly is, we will not sin. If we are convicted that he is the righteous and holy and perfect judge, if we see him as he is, in his perfection and his glory, we will not sin. If we're convicted that that judge was stripped naked and whipped and crucified for us, If that's the vision of Christ that we have, we will not sin. If we see the cross that has been revealed to us, if we see that clearly, we will not sin. If we see him in his glory, we will want to be like him. The temptations that feel so big right now will will become smaller. It will be eaten up by the glory of Christ and your desire to be like him. It will. And we will see him one day perfectly, clearly, and we will be like him. But we don't have to wait until the last day to see him, to remember him, to behold him. And these are the bases, the fuel upon which our sanctification, our growth in holiness will come. John told us that we are made his children already. John told us that God will change us. And then he says in verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. There is a part for us to play. There is a part for us to play. We need to participate in this. But the resources don't come from ourselves. Once again, focus on God. Focus on his son. Trust in the work of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And the changes will come. The basis for change is not ourselves. It's God. 
the grace of God, the love of God, and the Holy Spirit that is work at work in us. So let's trust him, focus on him, and behold him. And let's get on with the work of purifying, uh, pur- purifying ourselves. Let's pray.